All right, so John the 13th chapter. Let me just uh, let me just summarize some of this for you. Basically, I wanted to talk about the essential parts of conflict resolution. If you were one of those people, it could be Nate, who's very thorough, that could outline every detail of that Peacemaker book, and you studied it a couple times, as if you were going to teach it, kind of what Mark Warner said that about, you know, you, you learn more when you teach. So um, if you were to outline that, you'd find a lot of great principles, and you'd say, wow, it's just a lot of material, and what are the essential parts of conflict resolution, because that's sort of my business, and um, I just thought I would share that with you in the time that we have. We're going to land the plane on time, so the good thing about teaching is you start off with the good intro, and you land the plane, and you learn how to do that. So the other thing is um, I want you to learn the most important things. You're going to hear some redundancy if you've been through any of my teaching about some of this, but... Um, but I think it's uh, essential for us just to learn a few things. I did have some handouts, but I thought they might be distracting because I just want your attention to kind of zero in on a few things that you have some feedback. I'll give you a chance to comment on some of these things we're going to talk about. John 13, verse 34. I'm sure there's a lot more to this. <clears throat> but he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, people will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. I think we forget sometimes that the key, key issue is that our Christianity engages long before we try to do a methodology in solving a conflict. Our Christianity should be engaged at whatever level you really are trusting Christ, whatever level you've invested the word of God will produce a particular disposition as we move together to solve a problem. You can't go past that. You can't go past that. And that um, it's really um, an important principle that we, the number one thing is that we love one another. As I have loved you, he says, then people will know that you're my follower. Interesting. The other one is Matthew 22. Matthew 22, you're pretty familiar with this one. And so what are the most essential things? What does God want me to do? More than anything. More than anything. Matthew 22. Verse 36. Yeah, he says, well, look at 34. So, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, sorry, Caleb, <laughs> asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great, which is the great commandment in the law? See, again, stuck on the law. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, and with your whole mind. This is the great first commandment, and the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend on the law and the prophets. 
Again, he's saying, as yourself. He was talking about, you already love yourself. The reason we know that is because he said these two commandments. This doesn't contain three commandments. It's two commandments. That you love more than anything. That your love horizontally or vertically would be translated in your love horizontally. If you can't love somebody horizontally, whoever, then that's suspect because it usually defines your depth of your vertical love for God. Because when your love for God and you understand who he is, it drives you to resolve conflict. Just plain and simple. The other thing about about the Messiah is we're going to work through some of these things here and what his, his role was. But I would say the number one essential thing is that you have to have this disposition more than anything. Let's work through some of these things together and we'll cover that. Maybe not. Maybe not. Good thing my IT guy's here. Okay, Nate. Um, oh, you just hit the presentation, right? Hit the arrow button for us. Yeah, hit arrow down. Oh, maybe it's just last slide. Yeah, that's it. Okay. All right, Nate. Maybe I don't need you. <laughs> Romans 12 is the idea behind our conflict resolution. For the grace given to me, I lay aside everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It's a key passage. You're going to resolve conflict. You should be going into the conflict not thinking too highly of yourself. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Think in terms of the scriptures I just read about our, our goal is to love one another, love God, represent the love of God, which is rare. You can get a lot of Christianity in a lot of places, but it's rare to show that kind of love of God, which is a selfless kind of approach to conflict resolution. Blessed are those who persecute you, do not curse you. This is some of the ideas of what Christianity looks like. Really? We can't even get along when people don't agree with us. What about persecution? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Really? Is that a goal in your conflict resolution? Is that a real goal? It's God's goal. It's God's will. Do not be haughty, but associate with lowly people. Never be wise in your own sight. And repay no evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, if possible, and as far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. That's a key verse that Sandy, that Sandy um, uses in the, um, the Peacemaker's book. But, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Notice the, the spiritual disposition. If you're living this kind of life, you're going to resolve conflict sort of spiritually, organically. You're always going to want what's best for them. You don't need all the steps, and you don't need to find out page 18 in a book. You're going to find some very easy ways of resolving conflict. And it says, but leave it, the wrath of God is to God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, you. repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And for, by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
you accomplish a way more by doing good to someone who hurt you than doing bad to someone who hurt you. I tell this little story. We were in staff. This is way early on, but we had a guy left, and I think you might have told this before, but young man who just up and left, and Pastor Brody had just spent just hours and hours and hours training. And he had said, oh, I want to be, be the manager of the office and blah, blah, blah. As it turned out, he just left just like that. He got a, another ministry job in Roanoke and left. And it was pretty hurtful for him. And we all took turns kind of roasting him a little bit and his Christian, his Christian maturity. And I remember this passage, and I said, wait a minute. I said, wait, wait, maybe we ought to do something good for him. And we all put money together. We decided to put some money together, and we put money together and sent him a card tell him how much we really loved him. This kid called me about a month later, broken, weeping on the phone. He's like, man, what I did to you guys, and this is how you respond to it? I could have made a mistake. I mean, no matter what you do, repaying evil with good is always God's will. So when you get lots of gifts in the mail, it means you probably hurt somebody. <laughs> and you're like, wow, this is really loving church. No, it means you're not a loving person. <laughs> and overcome evil with good. So disclaimer here, this lesson's for all of us. I wrote this in 1st of June, I think. But it's really about us together as a family. We're not, we're not talking about any individuals here. So you're in one of three places here. You're either hurt in the past, you're currently hurt, or you will be hurt. So we're not exempt. It's just where we're going to live. This is what we do. We're sinners saved by grace. We, we have a collection of hurt people living together. And we have the power and the grace of God to live in that community with Christ's kind of love. That's what's missing. You can find a lot of perfect people on the outside and Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, but they're still not spiritually in tune with the grace of God because the presence of God is not with them. So basically our objective is you must have the proper disposition before initiating your biblical duty and reconciling conflict. If you say, well, what do I need to do? You know, what do you say? What do I say? And we go back and forth and we talk. But if I don't have the right attitude as I enter into a, a conflict, I'm not going to resolve it unless I just want it my way. That was, that was it. I mean, we just get it my way. I always tell people it was so simple when I was a policeman because I solved more problems with handcuffs than I ever done in a counseling session. Because, oh, you know, you're, you're, uh, you know, you've just had a domestic violence, click, click, you know, I solved your problem, you're welcome. And, you know, I go and find somebody who's a drunk who's been avoiding that and the kids have been abused because of his drunkenness, click, click, I catch him on a stop, boom, boom, I just solved your problem, threw him in the system. I know it sounds pretty cold, but when you read Romans 13, 1 through 7, you'll see how God uses the authority. The point is, we have an opportunity to engage with the disposition. If you don't have that disposition, you're not spending enough time in the Bible. You're not having enough time serving one another. This is what's so beautiful about family life, is that we have a lot of Bible in this church. But we need to have a better relationship as we work together. So here's 10 truths. And I'm just, I, like I said, the handout has been distracting, but we'll talk about some of them. Now, I talked about this, and I know you're going to say, oh, man, here we go. But there's two greatest responsibilities to repent and, and forgive. They're on both ends of the spectrum. Can you imagine two people who are always waiting 
to confess and own their sin. Two people who just said, you know, I know I'm a sinner too, and I, but couldn't it all be your problem? And, and so they, uh, you know, they can't wait to repent and own their own sin in the conflict. And then you got the other people on there saying, hey, I was forgiven so much, I want to forgive. That's my goal. My goal is to forgive. Find some way I can forgive somebody today and set aside their offense, Lord, like you set aside my offense. Repentance, plain and simple. I'm just going to give you a couple of things I just wrote down at the last minute here. <clears throat> Repentance looks like you're confessing or owning your sin. Repentance is no good because you just change a behavior. Repentance works when you've owned your sin and your weakness, that which causes conflict. Repent means you're doing this without making excuses. And you, you approach this confessing your sin and repenting as if you're the only guilty party in the conflict. That's how you do it. Your repentance is doesn't, it's not predicated upon what they confess or what they own or how much they did. It's really about what I know I am and who I am and what I did. And my log, Matthew 7, my log is so big I can't see around it to resolve the conflict. Just you're the, you're the, you're the worst person you know in the conflict. It's just good to know that. And so... Not completely and sincerely repenting just strengthens the resistance to your sin. I just wrote that down and hardens your heart. You'll see that in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 and, and Ephesians 2, 1, and 1, 2, 3, 1 through 3. Repentance is key. We always have something that we have to own. And it's usually the attitudes of our heart that cause the most conflict. It's not who's right or wrong. Remember, Jesus rescued you from your sin through dying on the cross and forgiving you so you could re-engage and have a relationship with the most high God, peace with God. Not so you could just keep the law perfectly. A lot of people think they could keep the law perfectly. You can't, and you can't impose that on anyone else. The point is, you're living in a dynamic relationship that shows the love of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Now, forgiveness is releasing judgment and guiltiness of the one who sinned against you. Sometimes forgiveness says, I can get past this. There's a lot of bad forgiveness out there. Well, when I feel like it, or when it's good for me, or it's the most spiritual thing to do. No, really what it is, is that you're forgiving and understanding that I'm releasing you of judgment. That means I can't use it against you. Remember, he said our sins are as far as the east from the west. Not saying that he's never going to remember them anymore. He remembers them, but he's not going to use them against you. True forgiveness won't use those offenses against that person because Christ doesn't use the offense against you. So there's a functional side of this. You should act in forgiveness as that if you won't forgive, the eternal God will withhold your divine forgiveness. That's Matthew 6.14. Now, he's not saying you're not going to be saved. What he's saying is that I'm going to shut down our relationship. I'm closing it down. I'm going to feel distant. Why? Because it's so important to God. If you don't forgive, he won't forgive you. You broke relationship. You're grieving the spirit of God. It's that serious. 
So that's why I see there's repentance and there's forgiveness. And those two things, if they're working in 100%, usually 100% of the time, people are going to resolve a conflict. And I know I'm preaching to the choir for most of you. But if you refuse or resist forgiveness, uh, it's really a dangerous thing. True forgiveness is the strongest evidence of the new birth in any follower of Jesus Christ, more than any other Christian virtue. That's Colossians 3.13 and Proverbs 19.11. So, God forgave you the potential to commit all these wretched things. Well, you say you grew up in a Christian home and you were, you were a TCS kid, never made any mistakes. Just kidding, okay, teachers? Don't get too worked up. I know that that's a, that's a ministry playground there. I know that. But I'm just saying, even the potential of your wretchedness was so severe when God rescued you, you could do any sin, all the wretched sins that, Je- that Jeffrey Dahmer and Adolf Hitler ever committed. And God rescued you from that. And no one really goes to heaven without forgiveness. So it's a privilege to forgive those in this world too. Just try to remember that. That's how important it is. So, repentance, forgiveness... Responses are evidence of true regeneration. People who won't repent and people who won't forgive, I, I'm suspect whether they have a regenerated life. Oh, I know you made a confession. I know you made a profession. I know you walked the aisle. I know that you have a Bible, and I know that you go to church. But I don't know if regeneration's ever happened in your heart, which is the most neglected theological doctrine ever taught, is regeneration. So let's lighten it up a bit. We have Christian responsibility and the supernatural ability to make every effort to resolve conflicts, no matter how hurtful or complicated they may be. We have a responsibility supernaturally because the God, supernatural God lives in us to resolve conflict no matter how, what we do, no matter, no matter what, how bad it is. Any comments, thoughts about that one? Anything is cooking on your mind right now? Anybody? Gives me a chance to take a drink. I pray that you're awake, though, if nothing else. Verbalize that correctly when we're addressing an issue. Someone says, I just can't do that. Yeah. Just when you start talking that way, you reinforce a lie that somehow you're not able to do what the Bible says you should be doing. So you've got a problem. And you say, well, I, I can never do that, right? Yeah. So you have to really, it begins with how we talk about a situation that either reinforces truth in our heart or it doesn't. But yeah. Say, when you say, I, say, I just could never do that. Well, you're saying God's asking you to do something that's unreasonable or that he's not giving you the spiritual ability to do. So now you're actually at off with what God's telling you you should be doing what you to do. So it begins with really how we Good. verbalize the situation. Good. Yeah, because the only place it says you don't have the ability would be 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man doesn't have the ability because they're spiritually discerned. He cannot resolve conflict unless he does it his way. It's got to be my way or no way but the natural man. A spiritual man is always looking for something that's good for you. A spiritual man is always looking some way to please and glorify God. A spiritual man is on a different plane and I think uh, Pastor Jeff is right. It's a good conversation. It's good to be able to do some self-talk there and say, well, is this too difficult for God? 
it's not too difficult for me. There's a difference. Yeah. Amen. So is this something you can't do or you won't do? It's good. Very good. Here's a um, ex- exemption. If there's one there is that you don't have to resolve is if your conflict's greater than Christ's sufferings and his persecution. <laughs> Duh, right? Okay. Keep going, big guy. Okay. Here's an insider's tip for you, and I'm, I'm sorry this is a little wordy, but instead of partially trying to forgive or repent alone in resolving conflicts, this is a sort of an inside track of 28 years of counseling. So what I've tried to do is something to help you see that. It's not as black and white. We should firmly, or first humbly repent of our carnal unforgiveness and unrepentance in order to biblically respond appropriately to reconcile. In other words, I've been resisting in my repentance. I don't want to repent. I think I'm right. I don't care what anybody says. Doesn't matter what you've been trained. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. I'm, I'm, and that is a carnal response. That is a carnal issue of a hard heart. And I'm not going to forgive because what you did was too great. It was too much. And that is a carnal response. And I think we need to start concentrating on our carnal stuff, our carnal uh, responses and, and disposition first before we can bridge the gap to resolving conflict. Is there anything I need to confess about my own life, my own attitude, before I forgive or before I repent? I think that's important. Um, the natural way, though, we just talked about the supernatural way of resolve conflict is to, for, for a way of unbeliever is trying to minimize the pain and the conflict or find any temporary peace possible. I'm going to say whatever it takes. I'll apologize. I won't forgive. I'll just apologize. I'll do anything I can do to restore this relationship so the benefits of my relationship are restored. That is a bad way of restoring and resolving conflict. That's sort of the natural way. Yes? So I had a, um, girl talk with me, a lady talk with me this week, not in this church, not in this state, and she said her... Uh, resolution is Paul and John Mark separated. She's angry about the situation, so that's it. Paul and John Mark separated, yep. and so that's my city. So. Wow. Wow. But, you know, God brought them back. So that's something you have to look forward to. I mean, I always just say, I use a, I use a biblical term, April Fools. No, you're right. Amen. So I'm just saying, if the disposition I'm coming up with is the argument, remember everything, the stumbling block they talked about, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 4, and 5, the stumbling block is the arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and the lofty opinions. It's all about me. The stumbling blocks are what I think and I believe and what I, what I, have, I have claimed as my own spiritual life becomes stumbling blocks. I won't reconcile with relationships. Very sad. The supernatural way is really what glorifies God and protects relationships. What I'm about to say, will it protect a relationship or, or damage it? What I'm about to do, will that protect a relationship or damage it? Will this bring God glory or will I just be right? Um, and so you have to understand these things in the reconciliation process. The love of Christ working is the true motivation for the follower of Christ, first John principle. The inner desire, the motives to lovingly resolve the conflict are more impacting than the methodology. Your disposition is going to be more impacting to your reconciliation and have longer 
fruit, better fruit over time than just the methodology. A plus B plus C, the peacemakers book, conflict resolution techniques. And when you have conflict resolution seems impossible, go back to the gospel. Where a person is so resistant, you can call it carnal behavior for how long? Sometimes you have to go back and figure out what Christ actually did for you or what he actually delivered you from or what he actually forgave you of so you can see the bigger picture of the problem, which is me. Mark 7, 20 through 23, reminds us that everything that defiles a man comes from within. So I am always my biggest challenge in conflict resolution. Always. And actually says this here, now repent your sins and turn to God that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment. Uh-oh. Sounds like peace with God. Sounds like the peace of God will come from the presence of the Lord and he again will send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Your Messiah is the anointed one who forgave you so you can have a right relationship with God. So that relationship right with God can help you with relationships with others. Don't fool yourself. That was a purpose. It wasn't so you can keep the whole law. We forget that. You're never more like Jesus than when you forgive someone. And that's the truth. Because that's the most difficult thing you can do. Because a person's guilty for sinning against you. And they were, Jesus was sinless when he was accused and put to death. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all the type of evil, which is malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. See the gentleness of the relationship to put off. These are these attitudes of my own heart. And here's the put on is the, is, is the connection with the relationship, not keeping the whole law. Even James 127 said pure and undefiled religion is being good, you know, to the widows and the orphans in their time of need. Uh-oh, it means having a relationship, being sensitive to relationships, even in the lowest social status and be unspotted from the world. And watch out from those relationships. Always about our relationships. Amen? So how, Amen. Do you, how do you take a situation that's been going on for 10, 15 years? I mean, how do you press that reset button? Yeah. No, that's a good question. I mean, if it's been going on for a long, long time, some you know, first start off with your own humble time with the Lord. You have to come to grips and save. Just like with me, I mean, I get saved when I was 34. There was a lot of damage all throughout my life, family, friends, people. I had to reconcile with a lot of folks. And at first it took my repentance. Once I came to grips that I'm the, that I'm the enemy, I'm the, I'm the guilty one. And I called upon the mercy of God. Once I called upon the mercy of God, you know, he, I had peace with him. And then he gave me the ability to humble myself and go to others and admit my wrong. So I think the reset button always comes by your repentance. And if it's repentance because you haven't forgiven, it still requires repentance. You still have to repent that I haven't forgiven you. You'll say, well, now I think it's time. No, I, I was wrong. I've sinned against God when I did this. Start with repentance. That brings you to a humble spot. And James says that he'll give grace to the humble. So humble yourself before the mighty God that we serve. That's what I say. Amen. Father, thank you for our time and my friends. 
in this room who have made so many investments in each other and somewhat speaking to the choir of those who are living for you and the loving relationships with one another. Thank you for the 30 years that Phil and Martha have together of just following the Lord and his principles in them, and so I'm thankful for that as well. So give us extra grace, Lord, to understand that we are the real problem and that we will humbly um, approach you for mercy and grace, and then we will go to others and humble ourselves to reconcile. And we'll leave it all up to you, all for your glory and good. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless you.